welcome to Trailblaze X. And today we have Chris Ortiz with us, who is a U.S. history teacher and girls basketball coach at Knox Junior High. How you doing, man? Hey, what's going on, Pip? So, quarantine. What have you been doing through quarantine? Staying home. You know, what are you doing to stay busy? What are you doing to stay healthy? Kind of share those thoughts. Uh, it's crazy because um, you see in the news, people are kind of getting sick of one another because they're stuck in a box with one another. And uh, it's actually been quite the opposite. I've been spending a lot of time with uh, my wife and taking a, a lot of long walks. You know, you're an old Woodlands kid. You know, there's a lot of trails to walk. Sure. So uh, we've been getting our exercise and a really good, decent conversation with our, with our walks, uh, playing with my kids. You know, my son's 14, hooping with them, trying to get them to where it needs to be for high school. Uh, nice hanging out with my daughter a little bit here and there. So when you've been playing basketball with your son here in Denver, they've actually taken the basketball hoops or the rims off the backboard. Do you guys like, do you have a hoop in your yard or do you get to go, do you have to go to a park? Uh, we got a hoop in our yard. But that's, that's like kind of funny. You said that they put uh, over here in the woodlands, they put like plywood over the rims. Yeah. So uh, parts are in the same shape as yours. Yeah. They took the rims off and then all the tennis courts don't have any nets in the middle they like took the nets as well so it's just like a cement block at this point so pretty crazy the the things that they're doing for parks i guess to keep people away because i guess people won't so with that um what is one thing that you miss the most about being in the classroom you talked about you know the online school kind of being a pain at first but now that you've got it figured out it seems to be working pretty well but what do you miss the most about being in front of your students and at school every single day uh, I miss the people aspect. I think that's uh, where I excel. I think I'm able to build a connection with my students, mm -hmm. um, kind of like my athletes. Uh, I take pride in knowing each and every one of my students and what makes them tick and what's their leadership style and uh, not having them around, not having their energy, not being able to, you know, joke around, bounce ideas back and forth off of uh, just the camaraderie. You sure. know, uh, I miss that. All the other stuff, you know, it can go by the wayside, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, just people. People's what I miss more than anything. And so is this the first time you've worked remotely in your career? Oh, yes, ma'am. So I've, it's been a crash course, but my wife is a, an instructional coach. So mm. the, the teacher of the teachers yeah. is who I'm married to, and she has helped me immensely through this. Yeah, and that's one thing I've definitely noticed as well. Like, even though I work remotely exclusively, um, just talking to people about just the different levels of knowledge of you know, do you know what Zoom is or Skype or do you know how to use it? Do you know how to access your intranet? There's so many components that I guess when you go to an office or you go to the school, you have everything readily available. You don't really think about all of a sudden it not being there and now it is. But I think this situation, there's a bit of a silver lining with quarantine where I think the world was trying to kind of take the next step of, I don't want to say remote work, but being a little bit more flexible with remote work, having more resources digitally or electronically. And it's kind of just pushed everyone or forced everyone in this direction. And I think some industries have really kind of held back trying to kind of make that leap. And I think it's kind of forced industries, schools, workers, everyone to kind of just accept that this is going to be the future. Now, whether how remote we are definitely varies job to job, uh, industry to industry, but I think it's kind of forced people just to kind of learn something that maybe we've been holding off on learning. Cause it's like, Oh no, I'm going to always go into the office or I'm always going to go to school. So 
I think that's been just a transition and it's kind of just forced all of us um, to learn. And so I want to talk a little bit about your background because when you and I talked, um, I actually was thinking, when did we meet? And I think I joked, I wasn't sure if I could drive yet, but we started talking about my knee injury. So that means I would have been about 16 because uh, I, I blew out my knee November right after I had turned 16. So I was roughly that. And I was thinking back to, you know, those days, it was like Sunday, every Sunday we were training. And so I was doing, you know, basketball skill work and you were working with me with agility and stuff like that. And I think back to those days, even though they were long, they were hard. Sometimes I dreaded those days. I reflect on those days so fondly because I got to meet so many different people outside of my school, outside of, you know, my community. I got to meet people like you. I've, I've met people that I have lasting relationships with. And it was something that impacted me at such a young age. And so when I think back to my childhood, I think back to a lot of teachers and a lot of coaches like yourself that have impacted me at an early age and have had like a lasting impact. And so I think that's one of the most rewarding things about being a teacher uh, and a coach like yourself. And we'll kind of get into that. I know you definitely echo those same kind of thoughts and feelings, but going back to your background, you said that your mom always kind of pointed back to when you were in high school, roughly, you always said you wanted to be a teacher. And with that, kind of give everyone a little sense of why you wanted to be a teacher at such a young age. You knew this was something you were destined to do. Um, I don't know. You know, it's, it's a little funny. I think it's a calling. You know, some, some things you really just don't understand why. It just feels like the right thing. And for whatever reason, uh, from a super young age, uh, I just I had that out there. I had that out there that I want to be a teacher and I want to be a coach. Mm -hmm. If I look at it now, you know, from where I'm at, you know, as a 40 year old man, I think where that comes from is probably having good teachers and, you know, great coaches in my life and me admiring them mm -hmm. and uh, me looking up to them. And uh, to me, that makes the most sense. But my mom told me that uh, she was looking through my high school uh, baseball program, you know, and it asks you, you know, all the questions, where do you want to go to college, many brothers and sisters, you know, what do you want to do in the future, you know, and we can always go back and point to those, uh, high school baseball programs. Yeah. They, they say right there, you know, to be a teacher and a coach, you know, so thumbs up to all my uh, teachers and coaches in my life because I mean, y'all inspired me without me even, I guess, even taking notice at the time, you know? Yeah. And did outside of those teachers and coaches, did you have any educators in your family or are you kind of the first one to kind of take that leap in your family? I'm the first one to uh, attend and graduate college, you know, so oh. uh, I first one to take the leap, so to speak. You went originally to Missouri Valley College to play baseball, correct? Mm -hmm. And so you teach, you coach basketball now. Did you ever want to become a baseball coach or did you kind of always think basketball was what you wanted to coach? No, actually the uh, baseball route was uh, the original plan. Got uh, it. I mean, how could you not want to play baseball? You know, you got the beautiful green grass, you know, you got the sunny days. Um, you know, you got the interaction with the teammates, sure. uh, but just, you know, life kind of threw me a curveball and basketball presented itself as a opportunity and I hopped on basketball. What position did you play? Um, I was a second baseman, you know, played a little bit of middle infield, but, you know, as I got older, gravitated uh, towards second base because uh, the guy playing a shortstop ended up uh, being a really good guy, got a scholarship, played at Baylor. Nice. I got to the major leagues, played uh, for the Astros for a little bit. So I had a, had a stud on the other side that there's no way I was going to beat out. 
So I found that sports was one of the greatest ways for me to learn, you know, communication, um, what being a good teammate was like, or meant, um, how to be dedicated to something, how to put in time to something. And so sports to me is a great life lesson. Now I know not everyone is into sports. You can get the same thing kind of from maybe being in theater or in band or debate team, but those extracurriculars I think are incredibly important to, to kids outside of, you know, the, the five core subjects, um, that you take. So one last thing about baseball, um, who was your favorite baseball player growing up? I don't know. I had a lot of people that, uh, that I admired and I tried to mirror my game after, but yeah. uh, for my, for my money, I'm going to go with a gentleman named Omar Vizquel. He used to play shortstop for the, uh, Cleveland Indians. And uh, he was an absolute wizard. Uh, it makes me sad that uh, Major League Baseball doesn't have a lot of old highlights on YouTube uh-huh. uh, because if somebody could go back and, you know, pull those old highlights up from Omar, like, he, he was on a different level. <laughs> he was amazing. My favorite baseball player, hands down growing up, was Jeff Bagwell. 1,000%. I loved that man. And my parents called me Mrs. Jeff Bagwell when I was growing up. Like, I loved his stance. I loved everything about it. And, you know, growing up at that time with the killer bees and stuff like that with the Astros was, you know, such an incredible time. And now we kind of seem to have the next generation of kind of the group of, of Astros. So exciting time for baseball. Hopefully we get to see some, you know, after quarantine. Uh, after you graduated, uh, wanted to kind of touch on your first kind of teaching job out of college. And, and you mentioned that it was a full-time sub substitute job as a life skills teacher. And so wanted you to touch on what life skills meant, what umbrella it falls under from an education standpoint, and kind of what you learned, especially as a brand new educator in, in the education world. All right. Uh, so we'll talk about life skills. And I'll talk about the umbrella. Uh, you have an umbrella called special education. And in special education, you know, it's like a rainbow. There's a huge spectrum of services that are offered in special education. And uh, life skills, if I'm to describe it, you know, uh, as best as I can, these are, you know, some of the kiddos that are going to need assistance as they grow up. When they turn into adults, they're not going to be able to move out, per se, and have their own apartment, their own home, their own family. You know, a lot of these kiddos uh, are going to need assistance from, you know, till the day that they die. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it can be, you know, everything from a, a child that is wheelchair bound, that's not able to, you know, even go to the restroom by themselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have kiddos that are uh, autistic and uh, they're, they're on the other, you know, end of the spectrum. But uh, long story short, uh, you're, you're assisting these kids in just about any and everything from feeding to using the restroom Mm -hmm. uh, to academics it's it's truly hands-on sure and so at a young age this is kind of your first teaching gig um you know what do you think is the biggest lesson that you 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 learn from that because you know being an educator and a teacher is already difficult in of itself and i think people are absolutely realizing that right now as they have their kids home and they're playing substitute teacher um, but at the same time, like, I definitely feel for the parents. I've been sitting in meetings and people's kids are just kind of running in and they're just like, check out my picture. And, you know, it is what it is. But I think right now people are finally really realizing how difficult it is to teach children, especially young children, right? Keeping their attention for more than two minutes uh, is difficult as is. But, you know, outside of the difficulties of being a teacher in general, you know, w- what 
it was the biggest lesson that you pulled from teaching students like this. It was much more of a hands-on experience, probably different, different, much more different challenges than um, non-special education teachers may be facing. But, you know, when you look back to that first opportunity to teach in a, in a setting like this, what is your biggest takeaway from it? This is a good one. Um, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say patience. I think that uh, kids like that, uh, I'm going to say patience and empathy. I'm going to mm-hmm. take two, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, for whatever reason, you know, it's really easy to, you know, discard kids like that, especially when you're walking through the school. You know, you can see this group, of small group of kids you know, get to the cafeteria early, you know, because it's just what you do with these kids. And it's really easy to to pass them by and, you know, kind of act like they're not there. They don't maybe even think that, hey, you know, they don't even understand what I'm saying. Here's uh, my point to this is that there's like a little soul in those kids. Now, whether or not they're able to reciprocate um, uh, the communication, you know, back to you the way that you're able to communicate with them is the whole other ball of wax. But there is, there's a little soul in there and yeah. they're giving you everything that they got and uh, just identifying that everybody, you know, is of value. Everybody is of importance, you know, yeah. and getting that hands-on and that close and uh, getting that uh, that point of view, having that empathy for those kids really like opened my eyes because uh, this, this kind of is a, is a true story is that uh, I remember being in high school and seeing those kids and what I saw as a, you know, as a dumb 15, 16 year old, you know, about this, this segment of the population to where I, I got as a first year teacher, like it was a total paradigm shift. Sure. Some of it was immaturity. You know, and a lot of it was ignorance. Yeah. But uh, they're, they're people. Yeah. They're people. And uh, they want to be loved. They want to interact. They want to communicate. For sure. I think, you know, those type of situations where you're thrown into something that is so abnormal to you um, are some of the biggest moments to be, t- to learn, to grow. And then ultimately, you know, I'm sure because you learned patience and you learned empathy, which are all applicable to being a teacher. But in that situation, it was much more uh, probably... Uh, intense needing those type of skills or those emotions. And so with that, I think it might be probably like the biggest blessing in disguise for you uh, to continue your educating career. And so with that, fast forward a little bit, you've been at Knox Junior High for 15 years. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, 15 years. You've won Teacher of the Year, human, human, Humanitarian of the Year. <laughs> Hard word to say sometimes. And so with that, you're obviously, you know, uh, um, an established teacher. You have uh, great awards and accolades, a lot of credibility there. What do you think differentiates yourself as an educator? Um, I think the thing that uh, I, I do best is that uh, I try to put people first, uh, regardless of uh, grades, you know, regardless of behavior. Uh, Having children of my own has given me a new perspective that regardless of, you know, how this kid does on an exam or regardless of how this kid treats me on this particular day, Mm -hmm. uh, that they're they're human beings. And uh, I'm never going to put a grade or I'm never going to put a position or I'm never going to put a win or I'm never going to, you know, treat someone differently for all these other reasons that we're told you know as educators you know are the of the utmost importance mm-hmm. but and then, really they're not and with that though important. with that you also talked about when we talked the other day that you try to tie in kind of what you've learned from sports and coaching 
and also what you learn from a teacher whenever you work with you kind of try to marry the the two teaching and coaching and 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 teach your lessons or or point across and and you know, why do you think that is successful, at least for you, because you are a coach, right? So I think you're able to make that connection. And why do you think marrying both kind of your education hats and your coaching hat when you're dealing with children, why do you think that is so successful? Well, the crazy part is that um, people like to compartmentalize and they want to put them in two different buckets, right? Yep. But it's all the same thing. And like, it's all education, you know, and if, um, if you put them into two separate buckets, you know, you're really like selling yourself short as a teacher and you're selling yourself short as a coach. If I go out onto a basketball uh, court and I'm instructing a group of kids, I'm, I'm a teacher. You know what I mean? And I hop in the classroom and I'm, you know, teaching U.S. history. I also have to go around and I have to coach these young people, you know, so I see them as one in the same. And I think that's probably like the point that you're trying to get to is that, um, there's no difference. I, my, my coaching light is always on. It's, it's mm -hmm. never off. Like a, I go into a classroom and I know I got 50 minutes to teach something automatically skills from coaching start to transfer over like good time management, uh, managing the clock and you know, only got two and a half minutes here, you know, Hey, I got to get this little point in, you know, so both, you know, go back and forth. Let's say that I'm trying to teach a basketball player, right? Yeah. I had a, say do a specific move. Well, I can't go and, you know, start yelling at this kid and berating him and belittling him because I'm instructing the kid. I wouldn't right. do that in the classroom, right? Right, right. So why, why would I do it out there on the field or why would I do it on the court? So For sure. Just to understand that they are uh, one and the same. Yeah, I like it. Your, your teaching hat is always on. I, I think that's actually a great approach. And I think teachers, bosses, peers, whoever, when you kind of have always your teaching or your coaching hat on where you're kind of instructing or helping rather than berating or belittling, that is how you get true leadership. And that is how you get people to listen and to engage with you. And I think those are soft skills that are completely unrelated or not unrelated, uh, underrated in my opinion. Um, because they're useful no matter what your setting is, whether it's a classroom, whether it's in my job, right? I deal with customers in your, what you were talking about with time management, same thing. I have meetings that are one hour. Some of them are nine hours. I have to be able to kind of mentally go through and be like, okay, I'm going to do this for this long. Okay. This went over. What am I going to cut? And you have to be able to make these decisions kind of on the fly, but also, you know, having the soft skills of dealing with these people. If there is a challenging moment, how are you going to handle it? Are you going to do it more with your teaching and coaching hat on? Or are you going to kind of buckle down and, you know, berate people or belittle them? And so, like I said, I think those soft skills are incredibly important. I think people and young people should learn them in general. And I think it'll take you far in life, no matter what you decide to pursue. Um, at least in my opinion, just saying. I agree. I agree. <laughs> So, all right. So right now you're in the traditional classroom teaching U.S. history. But before you got there, you mentioned that you meant you worked with kids in special development and you call that SDC. And so for those who A, don't go to Texas schools or B, don't go to public school, what does SDC mean? Um, well, it actually differs like from district to district, but uh, SDC in the uh, Conroe ISD lingo or jargon is a social development class. And uh, you have some kiddos that are battling some uh, social, some emotional issues, you know, so you may have some kids that fire up, you know, really quickly and to possibly, you know, get violent, toss a yeah. desk or two or, yeah, yeah. you know, swing a little something at you. You got some kids that uh, 
got a real big fight or flight response. So they may, you know, you present them with something that doesn't make them happy and you better watch the door because they're, they're up and out. And the next thing you know, you know, you're walking outside a quarter mile trying to, you know, talk them back into coming inside and everything in between. Sure. You know, and uh, that, that was a very inter- interesting experience. No day was like the day before. It was different each and every I can day. imagine. <laughs> You also got to remember that in the seventh or eighth grade, it's probably like the roughest time for anybody trying to find themselves. Like sure. it's it's goofy. My dad brought some pictures over last night of like me and and as a ninth grader. Yeah. And, uh, just looking at it made me think like, what was I thinking? Yeah, you it's know? a tough so, time. It is. I do not ever want to go back to being thirteen. No. No. Um, But one thing that I found interesting with these kids, because you're trying to connect, you're trying to give them different outlets as well. Um, You mentioned that you would bring people from the outside, perhaps to your classroom, or you would go outside and you would have special guests, like, you know, people that fought in UFC or anything like that. And so just talk about, you know, who you brought and why and how those kids responded to that kind of non-traditional education setting. Yeah, well, these kids are non-traditional. You know, they're allergic to sitting in a desk for seven hours a day and doing everything that they're told. And uh, truth be told, there's a lot of kids that are like that. They're just able to play the game, you know, long enough to not explode. But uh, we try to be very non-traditional. Had a very, uh, mostly guys, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'd probably have like for every 10 guys, I'd have one girl, you know, so there's a lot of testosterone flowing through these little boys' veins, you know, so we try to take them outside a lot, play a lot of football with the kids, um, have them do a lot of uh, track activities, you know, take them out to the triple jump and long jump pit, uh, take them out to the track and have them jump hurdles. I'm trying to think what else. I know there was one time, this is hilarious, that uh, I had gotten some uh, wrestling mats from uh, our, our jujitsu school, Gracie Baja the Woodlands, and uh, put them in my room. And we had some kids that, they, they had big mouths. They, they, they didn't know who was uh, the king of the castle. Because, you know, with guys, there's always a pecking order. Yeah, yeah. Because they had never been allowed to lock up and figure out, you know, who's the top dog. They all thought they were the top dog. So they yep. would, uh, they just chirp and they talk the worst smack to one another, hurling, you know, four-letter words at each other. And I got this wrestling mat. And uh, we started, t- I started teaching these kids wrestling. Yeah. Uh, like, basic you know freestyle folk style wrestling and then i would slide the mats together or unroll them and i say, all right guys you know for the next 30 minutes you know we're going to play shark tank and shark tank is a wrestling game where you have two kids going toe-to-toe with each other mm-hmm. and whoever is able to put the other kid on his back wins and he stays and then a fresh kid comes in got it so we, we'd have a rotation of three or four kids and uh, we just let the kids wrestle and the good thing is that they expended a ton of energy. There is no sport, you know, I'm convinced harder than wrestling. Wrestling is pound for pound, the most difficult sport, you know, but we would give them some instruction. We'd show them how to take kids down. Uh, it's not like we just let them go at it. You know, we, we educated them first. Not we monitored. No, nothing like that. <laughs> but for, uh, for five minutes, you know, we, or 10 minutes, we do shark tank. And, uh, you know, number one, their energy had, uh, that uh, expended but number two there, there became a pecking order and yeah. they had a mutual respect for one another that they, they didn't have before sometimes mm-hmm. we don't respect people because we think that maybe we're better sure and uh, once they locked up they kind of figured out that man he's a tough hombre i'm a tough hombre instead of talking so much crap to one another 
how about we just become friends? You know, yep. there's a mutual respect that's gained there. Sure. But uh, you brought up some other points. Like I would regularly bring in guests like uh, I had one of my friends, uh, Marcus uh, Barber. And uh, Mr. Barber was a uh, mixed martial artist. Yeah, you know, fought a couple times at the pro level. But he's also a barber. You know, and I'd have some kids that had some, uh, they, they had some needs that needed to be met. Like that haircut, uh, they hadn't had a haircut, you know, in a long time. Yeah. You know, and for a man, it's important to feel good and to look good. Sure. And to see uh, the student light up, you know, after he had received a haircut from my buddy, you know, was priceless. I brought in Alex Morano. He's a current uh, UFC welterweight. Uh, and he's actually my coach at Gracie Baja the Woodlands and he'd come in and he'd show the kids you know coach them on actual striking and uh, jujitsu techniques and uh it's just just being non-traditional you can't be traditional with the untraditional it doesn't work that's why they're in that spot people try to be traditional with these kids for sure and one thing I want you to touch on though is your jujitsu as well how did you get into that I know it's something you've been doing for a long time how'd you get into it why do you like it you know, go ahead and share that. All right. Well, jujitsu is like, if I could describe it, it's, it's similar to wrestling, right? You know, you got two people and they're grappling. So there's no striking. It's not a striking art. It's a grappling art. And you uh, basically, you have two people that are uh, wrestling for control. Now, what you do with that control is different from wrestling. Wrestling, the goal is to put your opponent on their back and score points or 10, right? With jujitsu, it's a little bit different. You are trying to take your opponent down, but you are trying to submit them. You want them to give up. You know, you want them to tap, or you want them, you know, no one says uncle, but essentially it's the same thing, right? Yeah. And you can use choke holds, arm bars, leg locks. And uh, it's probably been like the, one of the biggest catalysts for uh, my development as a human being. You know, we got a wonderful school here in the Woodlands. It's called Gracie Baja the Woodlands. The ownership, you know, starts at the top. The ownership is first class. You know, they, mm-hmm. they do so much for our community. Uh, but just the sport in itself, like, think about this, ben. and this is why it's such a wonderful sport. You you have a you have a, a sport, you have a hobby where you routinely get humbled. Like, when I first walked in, I thought, I'm in good shape. I can lift a lot of weights. I'm fast. I'm strong. And I get on the mat with a guy that's probably, like, 20 pounds less than me. Yep. And uh, he's probably got 10 years of experience on me, but I'm thinking like, I can take this guy, no problem whatsoever. Give me a couple minutes and he's done. Yeah. He just played with me the <laughs> same way that a, a cat, you know, plays with a, with a baby bird or something or yeah, a yeah. small snake. Like it, I, I was hooked at that moment Yeah. because of uh, the ease that he handled me. But then also like you grow as a person when you eat so much humble pie, Yeah. you know, and uh, the more that I, I, get into this combat sport like the less i actually want to you know get in an altercation yep. outside you know so it's uh it's really taught me you know different avenues and it's really like human chess too you know yeah, you just sure. really your brain's working yeah it's not it's not speed strength skill it's really like how do i get out of this situation how do i be patient you know and how do i you know move this chess piece from here to there and not get tapped out in the process yeah so it seems based on that and kind of your early educate educator experience right patience seems to be something that you're constantly developing you're learning you're becoming better at and i think again that's a skill that serves you well no matter what you decide uh to pursue and speaking of patience i'm sure you need a lot of patience coaching junior high girls basketball 
because uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I coached junior high basketball when I was in college. It's a really fun age, but it definitely brings you other challenges. Like you said, that, that age or those grades are a really tough time for any, uh, any kid. But, you know, what is your favorite thing about coaching junior high girls basketball? Let me see. I think uh, the thing that I, I enjoy the most is it's, I guess it's kind of like just me as a person, like uh, it's very relationship based. Like you got to, in order to work with uh, young ladies that, that I have found over my 15 years and been quite successful is that you have to like pump them up. You have to make them, you know, realize, you know, what good they have inside, you know, uh, how it can translate to the court. And mm -hmm. I, I tend to do better pumping people up as opposed to uh, bringing people down. Sure. And um, I, I've, I've coached boys too, you know, I have a son and it's the weirdest thing. It's like when I coach my son and his friends, it, it brings something different out of me. Yep. But I realize that when I'm with the girls, that there's a different switch that I have to hit. And it's not to say that I'm a total jerk to the guys. No, it's just not the same as when I'm coaching my girls. I also yep. think girls listen a heck of a lot better too. <laughs> they don't have the, the ego is not the same it is right totally different the boys they think they're better than what they are and the girls they're better than what they think they think you know what yep. i mean it's like the opposites yep and one thing i've kind of admired i've kind of kept up with your program just from afar is you know the culture that you're building and so to get seventh and eighth grade girls or just seventh and eighth grade athletes you know in the gym working you know it's hard because you're trying you're trying to teach them like it takes time it takes dedication to your craft but also there's a bigger picture right like if you want your starting position or if you want to grow as a basketball player you don't just show up for practice right that's a small component of it and so you know I've been seeing this stuff over the summer you're having girls come in the gym and have pickup you're even having guests basketball players as well that form that used to play for you and so you're finding creative ways to really show these girls like getting in the gym grinding it out getting better every single day is worth it it's a process but it's an experience as well and, and they're benefiting from it but like what are some of the ways that you have kind of built your culture it seems that Knox has a very unique basketball culture I think it's cool I know one thing you have is like those wrestling belts uh, that you kind of hand out to your girls. So go ahead and share kind of the background story to it and how it's led to kind of this iconic moment in your program to get the belt. <laughs> uh, the wrestling belt's an interesting story. Uh, I'm a big wrestling nut myself, you know, ever since, good Lord, probably like 86, 87, I've been hooked to, with professional wrestling. That, that's like my drug of choice, right? <laughs> and um, I just thought it'd be really neat if we could find, you know, outside the box ways of, uh, motivating kids because uh, there's a lot of time-tested ways you know to motivate kids and uh, the belt is kind of time-tested the only thing that's changed is like the carrot and the stick you know instead of you know doing something you know like a pat on the back you know something tangible like a big belt that I have the kids you know wear throughout the course of the school day yeah. you know is a uh, it brings a lot of attention and also like changing with the times, like with the kids, you have to change with the times. Attention is, is huge. You know, you mm -hmm. look at different social media outlets and you see followers and attention shining the light on the kids. So with the wrestling belt per se, it's funny because like it started off as like one of the cheap $10 
you know, styrofoam belts. And I probably used it maybe like 10 years ago, eight, nine years ago, something like that. You know, and the kid would get it for demonstrating some kind of uh, quality that I was looking for. Like, were they a good teammate? Were they extremely, uh, did they persevere that day? You know, and I'd pick out a character trait that I wanted to highlight. And uh, you bring the kid up there and then, you know, you just, in front of a hundred uh, other peers, you know, you just let them all know, this is what I was looking for. This is what this kid did. It had nothing to do with the number of times they put the ball in the basket and had the number of times that they were able to, to get up and then finish the activity that we worked on. Yeah. So I started off, you know, using it in that capacity. And uh, as it picked up steam, because it's picked up quite a bit of steam. The yeah, kids, it has. It looks awesome. Milk. I went and, you know, spent a hundred dollars, you know, on a, on a real nice replica. And uh, man, you know, the, these kids, they go, they go nuts over it, but it's really not the belt per se. It's, for me, the coach, it's what learning, what, what teaching can I do via the belt? The belt's just the vehicle. Yep. You know what I mean? Like the, the lesson that's embedded and the lesson that I could teach to all the other kids by giving that one child the belt. Yeah. It's like, uh, that's the secret sauce. Yeah. When I coached middle school as well, or junior high, I kind of did the same thing. I didn't have a belt. I had my old college jerseys. That was kind of what I gave them. And they just thought it was so cool to wear, you know, something that had a college name on it. And the response was incredible. Like you said, though, it could be something really small, like, you know, maybe someone I knew on the team was just having a bad week, but they put in that extra effort, right? I saw that they, they ran that last sprint really hard. Here's the Jersey, you know, hard work pays off kind of thing. And uh, especially at that age, you know, those type of moments, the belt, the Jersey to us, they're kind of small. You're kind of like, okay, cool. But to them, it's a really big deal because they're getting the attention. They're getting the the praise that at that age, right. They're kind of looking for, right. That validation of, did I do a good job? Do my teammates, you know, respect me or admire me for that effort? And I think it really feeds into everything that you're trying to do as a coach, especially for that age, which is a very difficult age. Can I make one point too, Pip? Yeah, yeah. Uh, something else too, like uh, being a parent too and seeing the power that a coach can have over a child. Mm-hmm. Like I tell my son and my daughter, you know, I have not told them anything different that, you know, their coaches have told them. But since it comes from a different mouth, then it tends to make sense, right? So always, my son and my daughter get a good coach. You can just see like their life light up. And uh, having that perspective, you know, being able to see how my son lights up whenever, you know, he comes home and tells me, oh, coach did this and coach did that. And he said this about me and that. It it makes you realize like the power uh, of a good coach. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I don't know if I can make this any more abundantly clear, you know, speaking to any coaches that are out there listening, we wield enormous power. And if you're not using that, uh, that power for good and you're not, you know, making people's lives better, like, man, you're a sham. You know, it, it sucks. Don't do it for the paycheck. You don't get paid enough, you know. And don't do it for the wins and losses because yeah. at the end of the day, I think they probably end up evening out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man, just make people's lives better. I agree. I, I definitely agree. And I actually had a guest on last uh, week who did teach for America and stuff like that. And his influence was his coaches and his teachers that he had at a very early age. And his mom was an educator as well. So, you know, we're, we're it's like you said, it's abundantly clear the impact that teachers and coaches have um, on students. And then as they get older, you know, one of the most influence, influential people I had was actually a fourth grade teacher. Fourth grade. I don't even know what age you are in fourth grade. Long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Miss Pierce. She was phenomenal phenomenal teacher in fourth grade and I've had you know great teachers 
um, sense and, and great coaches as well. So want to switch gears a little bit here because you've had a phenomenal career as a teacher and as a, as a coach, but that's not all that you do. You also have recently written a, written some children's books. So I wanted to ask you, you know, where did the idea come from? I know you had mentioned that you kind of write longhand and you were kind of spitballing some ideas, but where did the children's book come from? Well, like you said, uh, I, there was like one summer where I just kind of got uh, the MacBook Air and just started typing, and my wife came and cleaned it up behind me, but um, I, I think I'm ADHD, you know, like I don't have the, I talk about patience, but I don't have the patience to see a book like that through, mm-hmm. and I was speaking to a good friend of mine, his name is Elijah Simon, Coach Simon over there in Knox Junior High, and he was talking about the idea of uh, putting out some children's books, and it you know, it just kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning when he was talking about it. It's like, that's, that's kind of more my speed. You know, there, there's probably going to be a quicker, you know, quicker feedback loop when you're working with a, a smaller body of work. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I got the idea by like two, three years ago and uh, kind of just been, you know, working different avenues. And uh, I finally just, just kept pushing forward and said, uh, I don't think I'm the, the greatest writer. You know, I don't know how to draw. I sure as heck is not very good, you know, when it comes to technology. Uh, but be- because it's something that I really want to do, like I'm, you know, working or at least I'm, I'm meeting people in these different disciplines. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to push the product through. And my goal is not to make a ton of money. My, my, my goal is just to do. I, I definitely understand that. That's kind of the idea with the podcast. It was kind of just, let's see what happens. My, I, I wanted to do something and talk to people. And my intention is not like you said, to, to make money or anything like this. It was just to do it for my own personal kind of satisfaction. Also, hopefully someone learns from it. You know, even if it's one person, right? That's a benefit in my book, right? So I, I completely understand that. And so I know you mentioned that you don't draw. And so it's a children's book. There are pictures. Um, you know, how did you go about finding an illustrator? That's something I know nothing about, kind of, especially when it comes to publishing a book. How do you find these people to help you through this process? Um, some of it's luck and some of it's just like, like being good to people. Like when you're good to people, uh, it allows you to reach, reach out to them mm-hmm. and then, you know, you know, proposition, proposition them with, you know, uh, with the job, you know, so like I have three artists that I'm working with all three, actually four now, uh, oh. but all four of them, you know, are amazing at what they do. But, you know, I've built a relationship, you know, over time with these uh, people. And because, you know, they know Coach is a pretty decent human being, you know, they'll, they'll do business with Coach, you know, and I'll yeah. uh, make sure that I reward them handsomely. You know, uh, after I break even, you know, my full intention is to make sure that if we do end up making some type of money that, you know, I'm able to pay them well beyond what I paid them on the front half. Yeah. And uh, so just knowing people, just networking, like, being good with people is a superpower. You it know, is. It, 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 it's agree. up there with intelligence. You know, it's up there with perseverance. You know, you can name all these, you know, these different attributes. But just like being good with people too is also a skill. And I really wish it was taught more in school. You know, just yeah. the same way that they teach history or math. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. One thing that I have a lot of conversations with especially younger people like high school or college is like the importance of a network and also maintaining that network, right? It's not just making the connection and then saying, okay, cool. I met this person yesterday. It's really maintaining it. And it's things like reaching out, 
checking in if, if a life event happens to the person. And even if you don't know them that well, congratulations on getting married. Congratulations on your first child. Um, if something happens, you know, send them your best wishes, write a thank you note. Like I helped, um, uh, a girl who is about three years younger than I am. She's found her spot herself looking for a job all of a sudden. And she wrote me a thank you note, you know? And so now it's one of those things where if she reaches out or she, or I see something, I'm more proactive or I'm more likely to do it because I'm like, wow, she really appreciated my time. Right. And so was I, handwritten? yeah, it was handwritten. I still write oh. handwritten thank you notes. I still write hand, handwrite thank you notes. My mom beat that into our brains and there's a lot to be said about it and i think differentiate though like that is like the further we get into the future old school ideas mean that much more so like man your your mom did good tell tell uh, mrs pip that uh, coach said man hell of a job mom i have a lot of stationery <laughs> right here i have a lot of stationery because i find myself writing them all the time but like, like you said, right, being good to people, nurturing those relationships, like yeah. anything, right, any relationship, whether it's a networking relationship, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, relationships take effort, they take time. Um, and so I think when you nurture those relationships and the people that you know, and you're good to them, and you're a good person, people are willing to help you, right? People are willing to help people who want to help themselves and also want to help other people. And so I think, like you said, it's one of the things that you know, is up there with being a successful person, however you want to define success. Um, but you, being intelligent, um, having patience, persevering. Um, and I also think the ability to nurture relationships is top five as well, at yep. least in my opinion. Um, <laughs> so these books we talked about, you have three of them. One is called Dear Mama, next one is Drive Slow, and the last one is My Block. And you said these are all based roughly, uh, or mostly actually on personal experiences. Yeah, and uh, I'm moving just a little bit because I'm gonna actually get one of the books. It's that non, the non-finished copy, but that's all right. it's close enough to where I can show you all. Sneak peek. Yeah, but they're they're pretty much you know all based on uh, all of my books are all based on you know personal experiences. The, mm -hmm. the first one that's coming out that I'm about to show you, at least the cover on. Oh, thank you for being patient, Pip. It's all good. Yeah. Is uh, uh dear mama, so it's nice. right over here. Um, artist is Eric Ruiz, a guy from California that I met on Facebook. Nice. And uh, just it, it just highlights the importance of uh mother figures you know especially to young men you know and every page is you know about a different lesson that uh, mom instill upon their sons like uh, confidence empathy uh, how to treat a woman mm -hmm. you know amongst other things and there's a little rhyme scheme in there and yeah. it's pretty much you know just like a like a love letter to my mom you know yeah so it it, it is it, it directly derived from everything that uh, my mother taught me. It was one of the ways I think I could have said thank you. I think this beats like buying her a car. But I bet you buying her a car is pretty nice too. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, this is something that comes from the heart. This is something that, you know, you had to think about. And so I'm sure she absolutely appreciates it. I think, I think it's a phenomenal gesture. Um, mothers and also just parents in general don't get enough credit. Um, I don't have kids, no. but it looks very stressful. It looks difficult at times, but I'm sure it's incredibly rewarding uh, at the end of the day. And um, 
Drive Slow, another one of your books. And so you mentioned that this was kind of just about, you know, kind of getting that one-on-one time with, was it your dad or just another, just your other parent in general, like the story of it? Uh, the story of that is like, it's like with a young man that's, you know, visiting his father during mm. spring break, you know, the parents are divorced. So he's okay. going to spend some time with his dad and they drive around Houston and go and look at some different landmarks, you know, like uh, the B Sumlin Bridge, yeah. which is a big deal. Um, trying to think what else, like the Museum of Fine Arts, uh, the Astrodome. And it's just kind of a, a back and forth conversation between the father and the son. And yeah. uh, also lesson learning going on in there. But this, there's, there's a clear dialogue going on between the two. Sure. And so what, you know, as in that story, as they go around to different uh, landmarks, you know, what are some places that you and your, your son and daughter go to when you're kind of just getting that one-on-one time? Where do you guys find yourself going? Um, I guess like if, if I'm going to pick somewhere that's uh, a pretty common place, like we like movies. And I think there's a whole ritual about getting the popcorn, yeah. you know, getting the right drink, getting, you know, the right box of candy. Um, it's not necessarily, I see my kids every day, right? Right. So we don't always go to the Be Someone Bridge or we don't always go to the Astrodome, but for us, movies are special, you know, uh, here's something that's kind of funny and uh, I'm I'm cool with saying it, but you know, we will skip school to watch a premiere of a good movie. We'll go to the midnight showing, you know, and we, and I'll take the day off and I'll tell the kids, you're not going to school the next day, you know, so movies have kind of been something that, uh, that that are special to us I know like we went and watched Godzilla when it first came out I try to think of some of the other movies maybe one of the Avengers movies yeah we'll just flat out skip school <laughs> and go watch I mean, movies. those breaks are important though and you're you're building memories like for example next week next Friday I'm taking off don't know what I'm doing but it's just a moment to just take a step back take that mental break um in Colorado right we have the mountains so maybe go out there um you know who knows, but having that mental break is important. And I think back, um, I used, my mom would do similar things. It was more like sports related though. Like we would go Mm -hmm. to like a big game and then kind of thing. But I remember when the Titanic came out, I was obsessed with the Titanic. I don't know why, but I was, and my mom let me skip school. We went to see the Titanic and like to this day, it's one of like my fondest memories. Right. I was in second grade, I think. Um, God, yeah, wait, really. that was young for you to be obsessed on Titanic. <laughs> I know. My parents um, had, <laughs> there's definitely some movies that I probably shouldn't have seen at a young age, and they'll kind of joke oh. about it and admit. They're just like, yeah, no. But I really like the Titanic. I think part of it is because, uh, I think it's my great-grandmother on my dad's side, I think was supposed to get on the Titanic. Something oh. happened, I don't know, and so she came over on like a sister ship. So to me, that was like really fascinating at a young age where you kind of realize that if that would have happened, you would not be here. Um, and I, my grandfather, my dad's dad, gave me a uh, original copy, a 1912 original copy, um, New York Times of, I guess, like the news reporting that the Titanic was setting sail. And so, again, I look back on that memory so fondly because there's so many different aspects to it. And I don't know what I missed in school that day, but I turned out okay. And it doesn't I had a great matter. Memory. That's the thing. Yeah. Hey, I'm I had a great take memory. it from a teacher. Take it from a teacher. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. not like the subject that we're teaching is of the utmost importance. Like what's important is that like uh, we instill the love of learning. So mm-hmm. that once you get to that uh, that career path or once you you get to where you want to be, 
or you get to a spot where you know you truly feel inspired that you're able to learn it's it's not the subject matter i don't remember anything from united states history you know when i learned it back in junior high and high school i remember absolutely nothing yeah uh, but i did somewhere along the line capture uh, the love of learning and because i have that love of learning there's nothing that i can't learn and i can't really do except for flying yeah except for <laughs> flying teleporting there's a couple things but no i'm with you i think being i tell people be curious i think that's one of the yes. most important things to do especially when you're younger and, and then in your career path because if you're not curious your job or your career can become very boring and unfulfilling right and being curious is how you kind of take those next steps whether it is just taking a course or you're like ooh, this is another job that I might want to pursue, but I need to learn X, Y, and Z to be able to do it. And so I think curiosity is another top five attribute type of thing that you need to have to, to be kind of successful. So um, one thing about the books, you they're not out yet, right? Or are they? Oh my goodness. I got one that's been on the two yard line for like, it seems like a month now. Like okay. That. There's a lot of different boxes you have to check whenever you're you're putting out like a piece of uh, decent literature, mm -hmm. and uh, like this this first one, dear mama, like it's it's ready to go. But for whatever reason, uh, since I'm self-publishing, I'm not very patient. I don't want to shop it around to different publishers. I just want to put it out there like uh, the gray mixtapes back in uh, <laughs> in Houston when the Houston uh, freestyles were coming out. Yeah. There's like a slight formatting error that probably doesn't make a difference to anyone, but I can see it. Yeah. It's your work. You want to put out the best yes. work. So I am uh, pumped the brakes and I am going back and forth, you know, with the, uh, the formatting people. I'm like, come on, man, let's get this right. Cause I, I've taken seven, eight months, you know, what's another like two, three weeks. It's nothing. Patience. Yeah. Patience, patience, patience. And so where will they be available once they get across that two yard line? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go through Barnes and Noble Press. They okay. seem to have a pretty uh, friendly way of uh, being able to upload your, your content and get it out. So people can go to Barnes and Noble Press. They can find me, you know, Christopher Ortiz. They can search me up by my books. And there'll be links where they can order the books. And then you'll have it shipped, you mm -hmm. know, from uh, Barnes and Noble Press. Nice. Uh, one of the... One of the good things about that is that you don't have to front load a ton of money to buy like 500 copies of ah, your book. Okay. You know, that's, that'd get pricey. I don't have an extra, you know, $1,000, $2,000 lying around to, to buy my book, you know, 500 yeah. times to pass it out. So I've kind of cut out a step and saved some money. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. So Barnes and Noble, I'll have to keep an eye on that. And um, I've been following it on Instagram and just kind of, the different books, the the illustrations, and it looks it looks awesome. And I'm excited for you. Uh, you know, like I said, you've had a great career as an educator and a coach, but this is great that you have kind of this creative outlet or this side project. And I know you kind of dabble in quite a few things, but I think this is another kind of connection to you as an educator and a coach where you're teaching lessons, right? And and I think one of the great things about reading or in art in general is it's kind of open for interpretation a little bit. What does it mean to you? So dear mama to you means something, but if I were to read it, right, or a seven-year-old were to read it, it might mean something a little bit different. And so I think that's the power behind art is you can still have these moments of teaching, but people can kind of take away different things depending on who they are, their experiences and where they are in their current life. So, you know, touche to you. I'm excited for you. I think this is fantastic. 
And a um, couple things before we wrap up, I do want to ask, um, I've been kind of asking everyone this because we're trying to, you know, support local businesses and local restaurants during quarantine and, and during uh, the pandemic. And so, you know, where are some of the places that you and your family are supporting? Where are you eating, you know, just to help these businesses get through kind of this tough time? We've been going to H-E-B. My wife's an excellent cook. Oh I miss H-E-B. I miss H-E-B every day of my life because we don't have them here in Colorado and it's the greatest grocery store on planet earth. You're right. And what do they do differently? It's like, it's their customer service, which is, you know, heads and shoulders above everybody else. Everyone has the ability to put food on the shelf, right? But, you know, H-E-B does just like that little bit extra that yep. makes you want to go back in my life. It's like, don't tell her, but H-E-B is like a drug. <laughs> That's the only place it. that she'll go. I get it. I get it. And so you said your wife is a great cook. What is your favorite thing that she cooks? She does it all well. She does it all well. I, I, I don't have one thing because what she does that's uh, super cool is that uh, she she follows people on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. And she kind of figures out what's the new hot cooking book. And mm. uh, I can see him from where I'm at right now. I wish the spine was facing me so I could read uh, the name of who did it. But I don't know, like, she's got some Christy Teigen books. Yeah. <laughs> Christy Teigen's fire. And there's this new lady. She just purchased a couple of books off of her. And I haven't had a bad meal cooked by my wife. Uh, there you go. Not since we were in college. <laughs> I like it. So you're from Houston originally. Uh, one thing I miss about Houston is just the restaurants in general and just the cooking and the, and the different cuisines and the different types of food and uh, the fusions of food almost, right? And so if you could eat at one restaurant in Houston, or maybe I'll give you two because it's a tough call, where would you eat? Hmm. All right. Um, I don't know if there's a restaurant, but I'll tell you what I want. I want a big, fat, juicy steak. Yeah. Like for whatever reason, like a steak is always uh, calling my name and say, uh, Saltgrass Steakhouse is what's really calling my name right now. Yeah. But I haven't been there in a year. <laughs> yeah, they have. I haven't eaten at Saltgrass in a long time, but I remember I used to go with my dad and they used to have these things. They were called like the... Um, like the the rattles the rattlers or something and it was like these stuffed jalapenos wrapped in bacon and it was like fried phenomenal um oh, but i yeah one, i haven't been to a salad grass in a while i just thought about it uh, this is a place where i can have all my my meat eating needs met fogo de chow yes like those brazilian steakhouses where you can just have your choice of any and all different cuts of meat that's where yeah. i want to be you flip the coin. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't been to a Brazilian steakhouse, you have kind of this coin and there's a green side and there's a red side. And so when you have the red side up, no one's going to serve you anything. But the moment you flip that green side over, people are coming over with every type of meat, right? It's different cuts of beef. It's lamb, it's chicken, it's uh, pork. And they just kind of, you just eat until you are so full, you can't take it anymore. Um, in in uh, Colorado where you're at? Yeah, they have a Fogo de Chao, actually uh, downtown, like smack in the middle of downtown okay. Denver. And then we have some smaller, like Brazilian, that are not chain uh, Brazilian steakhouses um, up here. But um, yeah, I could actually go for a steak as well. I was actually talking to my boyfriend. I was just like, man, because I mean, I can make a steak or we can make a steak, but there's something to be said when someone like makes it at a restaurant for you and it's just like covered in butter and it's just been, you know, made with so much love. Um, and so we kind of... <laughs> been trying to figure out there's a butcher down the street from us that we might kind of give a, a whirl but but yeah so 
you know, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and, and being willing to share your story. Uh, we've known each other for quite a long time. It's actually crazy to think. I met you when I was 16. I'm 28 now. Um, and just wow. kind of the path life has taken both of us. Um, and, and I would say, you know, life has been good to both of us. So I, I'm glad that we were able to sit down, share your story, hear your thoughts, uh, and also just get it out there that you have this children's book um, that should be kind of hitting the shelves uh, at Barnes and Noble soon. And um, I really appreciate you coming on. One thing just to kind of put in a, a little bit of, of a plug here if any of you want to continue and follow Trailblazing Texts, there is a Twitter account and an Instagram account, both of which have the handle Trailblazing Texts. And I'll be tagging Chris and, and all of my other guests to kind of follow what they're doing, but also what the podcast uh, is doing as well. And so any last words, uh, Chris, to, to anyone before we kind of call it a wrap? Uh, I don't know. Just thank you. you know, just everyone be nice to one another. You know, we'll get through this. And uh, I don't know, hopefully... See everyone on the flip side. It's getting lonely. Yeah, for sure. Well, I hope uh, you and your family stay uh, safe and healthy, and we'll definitely chat soon. Mm -hmm.